0: Jenna, I wanted my very best to sing as loud as possible. But my concern is that would not be encouraging to you. So I tried to do a happy voice, not a pretty voice, but I tried to do a happy voice. But I, I, when you said that, I thought, oh, I'd love to help her. I just don't know if I've got the voice to help. I don't know if I'd be a help for a distraction. So thank you, Greg and Adam and Jenna, um, for preparing us and leading us. During that time of musical worship and getting us ready to get to the Word of God this morning. I hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up, or if nothing else, something that you can turn on. And I want you to join with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're Eventually we're going to get to 2 Peter chapter 3, but we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at a, a, a first verse, just kind of set the stage where we're going, and then we're going to spend the, the majority of our time there in 2 Peter chapter Three, we walked through months and months ago. We walked through 1 Peter together as a church on a Sunday morning, and then we took a break. And then we came back to the book of 2 Peter. And we have just been, as we, as you have been here, walking through this book of 2 Peter, this letter of Peter to that modern earth or that early day church there in what is modern Turkey, as he is writing to them. We've just been walking through it verse by verse, word by word, and looking what ha- what he has to say to the church and his encouragement, his exhortation. All the things that he is teaching them that therefore is applicable to us today. So as we've been walking through this passage or walking through this book, we find ourselves this morning, we're going to finish the book out this morning. And so we are going to uh, finish this. So if you're like, well, finally we get to do something else. Well, we're going to finish it this morning looking here at Second Peter. And I hope that as you've come through this, you've seen with me what I've tried to point out to us, what Peter's doing He's right into the church. And you've heard me say over and over again, chapter one, he talks about their identity. He talks about their identity as a church. He talks about their identity as a Christian. And then in chapter two, he talks about the dangers that are around them and the dangers that um, they need to be aware of. And then he comes into chapter three and he talks about the hope that they have. But what he does, as you will see, hopefully, look at there in chapter 1 and verse 4, or verse 8, if you will. uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. And as he's starting this letter, and he's going to talk about their identity. He's going to talk about all the things that they have. He talks about that in verse 3, that they have been granted all things. And he talks about what they've been given by God through Jesus Christ. But then in verse 8... He says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes and he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there in chapter one, Peter puts a bookend saying, okay, so you have all of these things through, or in God, through Jesus Christ, you have these things, and if you practice these things, and if you do these things, then there will be a spiritual fruit. There will be a bearing of the fruit. There will be a spiritual nourishment at stake in your life. Then, fast forward to 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 14, which is where we're going to spend the most of our time this, this morning looking at, and he comes back, and he is going to address this again. Now, we've talked about, here in chapter 3, about the hope that we have in God's word, the hope that we have in God's timing, the hope that we have in God looking forward to that coming. And so here, as Peter finalizes this and finishes this, he points them to one more hope that they have that I want you to see with me. And that is the hope that we have in the protection of God. The hope that we have in the protection of God. Some of you at your homes, you have a very imposing dog. Some of you in your homes, you have some stickers saying you have some security system. Some of you have the signs in front of your yard saying that uh, we don't call 911 because we're just going to shoot you. We ha- You have signs and saying, you know, about the, I put my trust in Smith and Wesson. And you may have these ideas and you may have arms and armament as a means of protection. And when you go down the road, most of your vehicles now, as soon as you put it in gear, the doors automatically lock. Some of you have it in your phones where you have a, a person identified as a. Ice, and that is in case of an emergency. This is who you call. We put all of these things in our world and in our lives as a means of protection. But what do we do spiritually, as a church, to protect ourselves from the constant temptation to waver, to compromise, to capitulate, to get lazy? to get overweight spiritually and physically, spiritually. But what do we do to protect ourselves individually? And then in addition to that, what do we do to protect the church? Now, some of you are gonna be here this morning. You're gonna say, well, you know what, Spence, it's not my job to protect the church. God is the protector of the church. Christ is the protector of the church. I don't have to do anything. And I'm gonna push back against you this morning and I'm gonna say, yes, we understand who's in charge. Yes, we understand who is the head of the church. Yes, we get all of that. But we all still have a role to play, not only in our spiritual protection, but also in the protection of the church. You may say, well, where do you get that from? Well, I'm glad that you're here and I hope that you'll see that with me this morning morning. So starting in verse 14, I don't know how the heading in your Bible may read but mine reads here in the, in the translation I'm looking at it, it says final words. So as Peter is coming to a close, you might think of it as him saying well in closing or uh, uh, one last thing I want to say this is his final words right into the church and he says in verse 14, therefore beloved, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as." Salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. And lose your own stability. But, but... But, circle that, underline that, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. As I come to this passage and I look at this passage, some people may say, well, that's just the, that's just the ending and that's just something you skip on past. But what Peter is going to do as he's riding to that modern or that early, that young church, that young church there in modern day Turkey, as he's writing to them, he says, let me give you some final instructions. Let me give you, and you see this there in your notes in the back of the bulletin, or I think, yeah, they're behind me. So he gives them some practical steps of some things that they can do Not only to live in God's protection, but also to live out the protection that God has for them. The first step that he gives us is to be ready. You look back up there in verse 14, and he says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Now, what is he talking about? If you weren't here last Sunday, and maybe you, you have amnesia, and you're somebody like Evan or I, and you spent all week at church camp, and you just got a lot of stuff going on, and you may not have remembered what was going on last Sunday as we in the text. Well, he talks about it back up in verse 11. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. He says, this world is coming to an end. Judgment is coming. I realize that hell, and fire and damnation and all those things are out of vogue in the church today but the reality is it it is still going to happen. There were people this morning that did not come to church this morning because some weatherman who was paid to be wrong, some weatherman man said the potential of baseball-sized hell. And so there were people this morning that said, well, we're not going to go to church because of baseball-sized hell. And I understand that. That is perfectly a personal decision. But what I do not understand is that people that will heed that warning, but when then God says Jesus is coming back and he will judge this earth, we're like, eh, maybe. Maybe yes, maybe no. Hard to say. I know that I'm going to stand before God one day and give him an account for my life. Eh, maybe. I'll just I'll just see what happens when it gets there. We will listen to a weatherman and believe him and orchestrate our lives around that person. But then yet when God says this is going to happen, you and I, eh, maybe. So he says back up there in verse 14, you see there in the text, it says, therefore, since you are waiting for these. He's talking about this destruction, talking about this new heaven, talking about this new earth, talking about the things that are coming, the things that God has promised that is going to happen. This world will end. Judgment will come for the lost and for the saved. The new heavens, the new earth will come. He says that there in verse 13. So he says, therefore, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent. Now put there in your notes the idea of just being ready. The idea that Peter is writing to them and saying, you, know, you want to know the best protection? in your spiritual life is to be ready at any moment for when Christ comes back. You need to be ready. He says there in the text that I'm looking at talking about being diligent and it's talking about a, a continual effort. It's talking about something that at every single time you are at the ready, no matter what. And he doesn't just say be diligent and leave it at that. He says, be diligent, be ready to be found by him. And then he gives you three Three areas to be on guard against. He says, make sure that when Christ comes back, you are found to be without what? Spot, blemish, and at peace. He says, when Christ is coming back, you know what he's going to look for. He's going to look for these things in your life. Now there in your notes, I just try to put a way to try to explain uh, what the Bible is trying to get at based on my understanding and my uh, study of this text as far as what he's trying to get at. When when he comes about a spot, now a spot is something that some commentators talk about being a stain. Some people talk about being a tent. Some talk about in a physical sense, maybe being a smudge of dirt. I put it there in your notes that a spot has to do with your witness. It has to do with the outward things about what you do, where you go, what you say, all the things that the world sees in you those may be the spots in your life but then he also talks about being without blemish now the Bible also when it talks about blemish it's talking about a character trait an attitude now I can come and I can dress up and I can put my jacket on and I can have my shoes and I can have my slacks on but if my heart is soured if I'm selfish critical angry mean spirited then it really doesn't matter about the external because the inward part can be just as sick. And we have people coming to church today, and you come to church today, and we get more fixated on the externals and not on the character of people. We get more fixated on how they dress or how they look or how they present themselves, and we're not thinking about the person. And so he says, Peter says, be ready, be diligent, because when Christ comes back, not only he's going to see the outward, but he's also gonna see the inward. He's gonna see your spots, and he's gonna see your blemishes. And so he says, be without spot or blemish, and.'" at peace. Peace. When I was growing up, my grandma, every time the Miss America the Miss Universe pageant would come on, she would sit there and she would watch these pageants. And Because grandma had air conditioning and croutons, I would be at grandma's house I'm telling you, when you don't grow up with air conditioning, you, would, you you appreciate some of these things. Some of you teenagers have no understanding what it's like for a box fan this window and a box fan in that window. It's just some things you just, you just don't have any concept of. But I would be at my grandma's house and here would come on the Miss Miss America pageant. And so this pageant would come on and I'm sitting there and I, I'm just there for the croutons and the air conditioning and the, and, then the, and the soda waters. And so I'm there and of course as they come up, used to, and I don't know how they do it anymore because now that I've got air conditioning I don't need to go to grandma's and watch it. But, but now they, you know, they'd come up and they'd ask the question, you know, what would be your, prior, your priority? Or what, do your, what would be your one wish for the country? What would be your one agenda? And they'd always come up and, they, and many of the times they would say the same thing, world peace. And everybody would be like, oh, that's so sweet. It may be sweet, but it's completely garbage. <laughs> because the Bible tells us that we will not have peace with a sinful world. The Bible tells us that we will not have peace with a fallen world. People. The Bible tells us that we will not have peace with you and are trying to reconcile light and darkness. There are some things that do not mix. So what is Peter talking about? Peter is saying, and at peace. He's saying that you should be at peace. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about our conduct amongst one another. You see, I don't have to agree with you and you don't have to agree with me, but we can be peaceful about it. We sat here last night and there was a whole set of chairs set up here and we had the candidates that are running for the offices uh, for this community and they came, 13, 14 different candidates come from the different races and they were setting up here and we we're asking them questions. And as we're asking them questions, they may, this person may disagree with this person this person may not agree with that person, but we can all still have a attitude and a conduct of Peace. We are living in a day and age that the society tries to get you and I to beat each other's throats all the time. That person's like a red shirt. That person's like a blue shirt. Just go fight about it. Or get on social media and use your coward megaphone and just put people on blast. Or you're sitting there and you just find something. The world is so easy at putting things in front of us and finding ways to get you and I to turn against one another. One of the ways this world will know that Christ is at work in us is when we are at peace with one another. Because there's only one explanation for this many people getting along in one single place, and that is the Spirit of God. So he says, be ready, be ready. How do you get ready? Well, Spence, uh, how do you get ready? I'm glad you asked. You get ready by making sure that you are looking at your spots. You are looking at your blemishes. You're asking yourself, am I at peace? How do I protect myself spiritually? I recognize that I am not looking for the logs in your eyes. I'm not looking for the specks in your eyes. I'm not looking for the faults in your life. I am looking for me. What do I have that I can work on? What do I have that I need to deal with? What do I have? that I need to address before the Lord. And I recognize that the most healthy part of the church that I can be is the most healthy Christian that God has called me to be. And I protect my part in this body. You protect your part in this body by guarding yourself spiritually. So he says, be ready. Peter says, be ready. This first step of protection is to be ready. But then he gives us a second step of protection. As you go on down there to verse 15, he talks to them how to discern spiritually. He says, be ready, be ready. Cause you never know when Christ is coming back. You never know when that time has come. So make sure that anytime you are spiritually ready to stand before your maker. And then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, in addition to that, you need to be able to discern spiritually. Where do I get that from? Well, in verse 15, he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now we looked at this earlier, a couple weeks ago in second Peter chapter three, where he talks about the day one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The idea was that you had a group of people around them and trying to be date setters. They were trying to say, well, we are going to identify when Christ is coming back or when he's not coming back. Or we can tell you that this is true or this isn't true based upon a calendar, based upon numbers, based upon all of these things. And Peter is writing them to tell them that God does not work on my schedule. God is on his schedule and I am to be on his schedule. And we look around this world and you will hear people and they will say, well, the world is heating up. We better all change our mailing address to Mars. This is happening, we gotta do this. The world is coming to an end, gloom and doom agony and despair, oh my, or however it went on hee-haw, and all of these things are out there saying all this is going to take place. And you and I might get fixated because all we can think about is life in the present. And Peter says, make sure when you think about the time, think about it spiritually. Time is an opportunity to work for the kingdom of God. Maybe, 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 maybe maybe God has left you here not to buy a bigger house, not to get more possessions, not to go to work, not so that you can have luxuries and, and accolades for yourself. Maybe God has given you another day on this earth to tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe the time that he is giving this church is not to put more people in the in the pews. Maybe the time he's given to this church is not so that we can build bigger buildings or do other things. Maybe he has given this church time because there are lost people outside of these walls that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to give you a little more time. See, we think about time as such a thing as far as what? How much time do I have before I retire? How much time do I have before I pay off my house? How much time do I have before the kids are out of the house? How much time do I have before I get to take a vacation? How much time do I have blah, 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 blah. And Peter says, think about it. Be spiritually discerning and understand that God is giving you time as an opportunity to serve the kingdom of God. Let me give you a passage that sticks out to me that I One of those passages I want to ask God when we get to heaven, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, Jesus says, and this gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, then the end will come. I've heard preachers get up and they preach on this passage and their, their take on this passage is that once every person on the face of this planet, hears the gospel message, then Christ will come back. And I've heard other people say, no, no, because based on Romans chapter one, everybody, all of creation has some knowledge of God. So that is not there. It's simply a matter of when the known world reaches the hears about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've heard a lot of people on all kinds of spectrums, but maybe, maybe as Peter is saying, do you not understand the patience of our Lord as salvation back in verse 15? Maybe Peter is saying, you need to look at it, that God is continuing to give You continue to give me, continue to give us time, maybe, so that more people can get saved. Maybe he's giving us more time so that more people can hear about Jesus. Maybe he's giving us more time so that we can expand the kingdom of God. Maybe he's giving us more time so we can do what he's called us to do. And he says, be spiritually discerning the fact that it's not the fact that God just likes to see you languish in your sickness or your, in your health maladies. Maybe it's not the fact that he just wants to see you go through turmoil politically and socially. Maybe have the spiritual mind to understand that time is an opportunity in the kingdom of God. So he talks about that there in verse 15. He says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he goes on to... Talk about Paul, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you. So apparently, apparently Paul had also written to this early church. And as Paul is writing, Peter says, not only have I written written to you, but Paul has also written to you. And as we have written these things to you, they echo. and, And you hear not only our exhortations and our encouragement, but in other words, we also hear God's will for your life. I put it there in your notes that God speaks through his word. That God speaks through his word. If you think back to a a biblical narrative, and in the Old Testament you had the prophets, and God would come and he would speak to the prophets and the prophets would then speak to the people and they would say, God gave me a message, and here is the message. Jesus comes in his earthly ministry and Jesus says, this is the model. This is the example. This is the paradigm for how we're to live. And then after Jesus goes, then you have the age of the apostles. And the apostles come and they're speaking on behalf of Christ. They're speaking on behalf of the spirit of God. And then as you have all of these writings that were collected together in a biblical canon, you now have what we have as a complete canon. We do not have the prophets in the Old Testament sense. We do not have Christ in his physical sense. We do not have apostles in their ministerial sense sense, we now have the word of God. So Peter says, pay attention, pay attention, not just what I'm writing you, but what Paul has written you, because these are the words of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I come to this and I go, you know what? I wish it was a little bit more easier to, I wish it was a little easier to understand. And he talks about that. The second part of verse 16, he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. There are some things in here that you may come to and you may say, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why it's there. There may be some things that... You may have looked at for a long time and you're like, I'm not really sure what this is trying to say. You may get over into the book of Leviticus and you're going, I, I really don't know why this is here and why this is written to me. The danger though is, the danger is, is that you will have people that will come in and they will manipulate the word of God. They will come in and they will take the word of God out of context. We were sitting there at church camp this last week and uh, there were some young men behind us in the line and uh, affectionately, I call them shaggy heads. You know the type. And they're sitting there and we're having a conversation and they're like, well, why do all your kids have buzz cuts? And I said, they don't have buzz cuts. They have biblical cuts. And oh, that starts a conversation. And I always tell them, I said, well, go back. I said, it's biblical. Go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, verse 14. And let me read for you because some of you are like, well, I don't have that memorized. Let me tell you what it says. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? Boom. Problem is, is that's completely taken out of context. I completely took that passage and twisted it around to say what I want it to say. Now, does it say that in black and white? It says it in black and white. Could I sit up here and spend an entire sermon talking to you about how long hair is a sin? And you're like, well, how long? Well, anything longer than this is a sin? And so we're just gonna make this whole thing an argument for against long hair. The reality is, is the Bible, yes, it says that, but that is not what the meaning of the text is, it's talking about the head covering. People will twist Scripture. They will distort Scripture. They will manipulate Scripture to say what it wants to say. So Peter comes back in 2 Peter chapter 3, and he says, Understand, I have written to you. Paul has written to you. We've written these things to you. Yes, we understand that there may be some that are hard to understand, but be aware, be spiritually aware, be discerning to understand that there will be people. It says there in verse 16, they will, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. That word twists there in the original language. It talks about a torture. You watch the movies, you see it on television and somebody puts somebody to torture them and how they distort them and and they twist their bodies and they're trying to cause pain and they're trying to inflict all kinds of harm upon them. Or the word also talks about to distort, to change, to disfigure something. I, I put there in your notes that when you come to a distortion, something that is altered from its original meaning or an intended purpose, when you come to that distortion, the next step is dysfunction. And when we distort the definition of marriage, and we distort the biblical picture of gender, and we distort God's word, and we distort right from wrong, truth from error, when we distort those things, the result is dysfunction. And when you have dysfunction, that will then lead to destruction. Destruction. Where do you get that from, Spence? I get it from what Peter says. He says, they are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do other scriptures. He says, they twist it to their own destruction. They twist the word of God, they distort it. Then they have dysfunction and then they lead to destruction. And he says, be careful, be spiritually discerning, have discernment in your spiritual life to know that there are people out there that are trying to say things that are not true. There are people out there that are saying things on behalf of God that simply are not biblical. My biblical counseling teaching, one of the main things we were taught to do is to listen from biblical thinking and counter it with biblical truth. So I'm sitting here last night, and I've got a little chair over here. and We're having this political forum, and sit there, and we've got we've got six uh, candidates that are running for the state senate seat that affects here in in, in Wellston. And so they are sitting there, and the word sovereignty got used, and there was a lot of unbiblical thinking that was being said last night. And I, I am sitting there thinking, you know what, I, I you know how you just you just got that urge to just throat punch something. And so it's kind of that idea that you're sitting there and you're listening like like really need to address it, but I wanna be respectful. And so this idea of this sovereignty, and they, and they were talking about it in the sense of Oklahoma's sovereignty and the, and the Native American tribes' sovereignty and all this sovereignty, 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 sovereignty. And I just wanna set the record straight, we do not have sovereignty. What sovereignty means is that we are independent, that we are autonomous. You are created being created in the image of God. You are not sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign because he has aseity. He, he does not need you. He does not need me. He wasn't created by anything. He doesn't depend upon anything for his existence. That's the old idea of aseity. means that God is other. We, however, fellow human beings, we are not sovereign. We are under the sovereignty of God. Now, I understand, I understand what is being said there. I understand kind of the, the sentiment, what is being said there. But especially in a church house, if we start talking about, well, we have sovereignty and they have sovereignty. And I'm thinking, that is unbiblical thinking. And when you start to distort the definition of sovereignty, then you come with a dysfunction of anthropology, which is our understanding of man. So when you distort the definition of sovereignty, then you have a skewed view of the identity of man, which would be anthropology, which then leads to a humanistic, deistic, theistic worship saying that man has the answers in himself. Distortion, dysfunction, destruction. So he says, be discerning spiritually. Last one, look at it with me. The last one in verse 17. He tells us to be ready. He tells us to discern spiritually. And then he calls us to grow in faith. He says, if you are practicing these things, if you're practicing the uh, being ready at all times in the spirit, being ready at all times to stand before your creator, if you are discerning the things around you, the things that are being said and the things that are, that are coming into your eyes and your ears for the domination the key terrain of the mind, if you're looking at these things, understand that there are spiritual potholes all around you. So he says, then the last step, the last practice to protect not only you spiritually, but the church as a whole is to grow in faith. If you look there at verse 17, he continues on. He He says, so you, therefore, so he's saying, in light of what I've said, in light of what I've done, now this is what I want you to do. He says, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing that there's people that are gonna come in, knowing that people are going to come in and try to skew, they're gonna try to influence, they're gonna try to tempt you, they're gonna try to malign, they're gonna try to color things differently, because you know this, take care that you're not carried away. Peter's telling them is, is that your environment equals influence. Your environment equals influence because whatever environment you put yourself in will be the influence that you are allowing into your life. And whether you and I are willing to be humble enough to say it, the environment that we put ourselves in will impact who we are. Will impact what we do. I'm struggling right now with this whole Christian hip-hop rap. I'm struggling. KB, NF, Lecrae, Triply, I struggle mightily. And right now, it's not a new thing, but there's this song called Church Clap. And they've got this little dance, little dance routine. And so you get these individuals, and, and they, the, the song starts, and they got the little, little bee-bump, and it starts going, and, the, and these young people get out there, and they're doing this Church Clap song. And I'm looking at this thing, and, and a part of me is the, the pharisaical fuddy-duddy that just sitting there going, No, it's not allowed! At least that's what it sounds like in my head. So it's one of those things and I'm listening to that and I'm watching this and then the other side of me says, why? And Evan and I had this conversation just this last week because I said, Evan, where's the line? Where is the line when we say, that's it? That much environment is okay and not harmful to my spirit, spirit, but more environment, more influence is, where's the line? Well, I know, I know, I know, maybe, I'm not gonna say you, I'm gonna say me, the line is very fluid. When it comes to TV shows, how many cuss words? Is okay versus not okay? When I'm listening to the song and the content of the song, the lyrics of the song, what is okay and not okay? That seems to be very fluid. A lot of times in my mind, it's depending upon the beat. (laughs) But it's one of those things that we're always asking ourselves, where is the line? What is okay to listen to? What is okay to watch? What is okay to put into the eyes and the ears? What is okay to put around me that is not harmful to my spirit, but is something that I can uh, process and be a part of, but it will not negatively influence me? And the question we're asking is, is what environment is okay? So Peter says, Peter says, understand, understand that you are in that environment and be on guard. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. He says, be aware that if not everything is a mission field, some things are minefields. Be aware that there is an environment around you that is not there to help lead you to the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. There's an environment around you that is not always spiritual. It can be satanic. Now everything around us is meant to grow us in our faith. And he says, be on guard, grow in your faith. So in verse 17, he says, so be careful. Do not let your environment influence you for the bad. But he says in verse 18, but grow in grace. He is expecting, there's this idea that you will, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will grow. Let me ask you about this grow word. If you think about this grow word, you look up the definition, you look it up in the original language, it's all pretty much the same thing. The idea of something that growing is something that is expanding, something that is reproducing, something that there is evidence of life in, something that is bearing fruit. If you look at something and that thing is alive and that thing is growing, it will be evident in what that thing is Doing, We have far too many sweet-minded, well-intentioned Christians in the church today that are coming and they're going through the steps, but they are not giving evidence and testimony of growth in their life spiritually. What do you mean, Spence? Well, are they reproducing? Many are not. Are they bearing fruit? Many are not. Are they living a life that is evident that there is growth in them? Many are not not. So the question is, is are you growing? See, growth follows health. And so if you are a healthy follower of Jesus Christ, then the evidence, the manifestation of that will be growth. The question is, is how do we measure health? How do we look and say what is healthy and what isn't healthy? We have some fruit trees at our house, and as we get these trees, and they're in a dormant state, and we plant them in the ground, it's one of those things you don't know whether it's alive or dead. You don't know what's going to wake up or not wake up. And so as the, the summer comes along, and there's some trees that start to put out leaves, and there's some trees that start to put out buds, and you're able to see that, but then we've got a couple of trees right now that haven't done anything. And so the question is, is, what are the, is the tree alive? And well, you may say, well, how do you determine whether the tree's alive? Well, you can do the wait and, wait and see method and just wait for 10 years and see what happens. Or you can take your little pocket knife out there and you can just scrape the bark back and you can look at the content under the bark and it will tell you whether this tree is alive or not. I wonder if sometimes God uses the circumstances in our lives to test us to see if we're alive or not. Maybe some of the hardships, maybe the persecutions or maybe some of the hindrances that come in your and I's life or maybe just God's way of peeling back some of those layers to let the world see whether you're alive or not he says he says I want you to grow I want you to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ Peter says you want to protect yourself spiritually you want to protect yourselves to the church make sure that you are a church that is growing we do not define the measurement or the health of the measure or measure we do not define health as a measurement of church attendance we don't define health as a measurement of how much money you give I don't define health as a measurement of do you own a Bible are you a member of a church I don't define health as how many times you attend church. I don't define it as how much Christian music you listen to or how much pre- preaching you watch on television. The measurement of growth is are you growing in your faith and are you reproducing? Are you reproducing in your walk with the Lord? You want to guard the life of this church? Grow and this church will grow. This isn't about a methodology of you and I coming in and saying, well, you know what? If we just employ this program, if we just try this, you want to know how the church grows and how the kingdom advances is by individual believers growing and reproducing in themselves. Now, I realize the last 30, 40 years, we've gotten away from that as a church. And it shows. But when Peter comes and says, you want to protect both you spiritually and you want to protect the life of the church, be a person, be a follower of Jesus Christ, and be a church that is Growing. So let me give you some good news. Let me give you some good news as we come to the end of this letter of 2 Peter and as we think about down the road ahead. Let me give you some good news. The first good news is this you know what is coming. You know what is coming. What do you mean, do I know what is coming? You have the book. You have the book. You know how it started in Genesis. You know how it's going to end in Revelation. You know what is coming. There is no excuse that you and I had to look back and go, well, I didn't know God was going to do that. I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know I was going to stand before Christ and give an account to my life. I didn't know that lost people were going to go to hell. I didn't know that people were going to suffer. I didn't know that Satan was going to try to lure people and tempt people away. You know what is coming. You know what God has promised. You know that God has told us through his word, everyone in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that all of us have a problem of sin, but we also know that God sent his son. Jesus. And he lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross and was crucified to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And we know because what the Bible tells us, we know that the Bible tells us that God says, okay, if you believe by faith in my son and what my son has done, if you put your trust and your hope in him, you repent of your sins, Place Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You can be forgiven. We know that God says that, hey, I sent my son so that you can be forgiven, so that you can get saved, so you can have the promise of eternal life with me. I have told you all of these things. And so we have no excuse when that time comes to not have our lives and our relationships right with God. He says, you know what is coming. And not just that, but then the second good news I want you to leave out the door with this morning is that you know what to do. You know what to do. If you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, and he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, he says, if you are practicing these things, this is how you are a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. Then you go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and these passages we looked at this morning. He says, if you are ready, if you are discerning spiritually, and if you're growing in your faith, you will be ready because you know what God wants you to do. When I tell my kids to clean the room, they know what I expect of them. When your boss tells you to perform a job, you know what you're expected of you. Before Christ goes back to the right hand of the Father and he looks at the church and what does he say? Go make disciples, not go and fill pews, not go and build buildings, not go and tickle ears. He says, go and make disciples. And when he says that, it's not that you and I are looking back and going, what does that look like? We follow the model of Jesus. We follow the example of the early church. We follow the textbook. And we do what we're told to do because we know what to do. But why? Why why should I do that, Spence? Why why should all of that matter? Verse 18. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The third thing I want to leave you with is good news. It's that it's all about his glory. It's not about his glory in the eternity to come in heaven. It's not about his glory in some far off third nation world. It's about his glory today. He says in the last part of verse 18, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. He says that content, the character, the conduct of our lives so that we should be living before God's for God's glory today. The reality is, is every single one of us in this room are living for someone's glory. You might be living for your glory. You might be living for your kids' glory. You might be living for your boss's glory. You might be living for your banker's glory. You might be living for the glory of someone else's opinion. You might be living for a lot of glories. But Peter says the way that you keep your eyes on God and the way that you keep your heart straight before God is that you make sure that everything, every single day is all about his glory. So he says to him, be the glory. To him, be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So you say, well, Spence, why is that good news? Because I can live for a lot of things in this world that do not bring any kind of hope, that do not bring any kind of satisfaction, and do not bring any hope for my eternity. But when I live for the glory of God one day, all I am doing is practicing today what I'm gonna be doing for an eternity. That is the glory of God. In church, somewhere we've lost that. We elevate man's glory over God's glory. We elevate today's glory over eternal glory. And so you get around preachers. And a common refrain when you get around a bunch of preachers is well, how many are you running now? Who cares? Who's getting the glory? what are you doing with your life? Oh, man, you know, little Johnny, I mean, he's just, he's just tearing it up on the ball field. Who cares? Who's getting the glory? Well, little Sally, you know, she, she's doing well. I mean, she just, she's just an academic all-star. Great. Who's getting the glory? Oh, you know, it's so nice. We were able to get into this new house. And man, this, this house is so nice and, and it has so much room and, and we have everything we need. It's just the perfect home. That's great who's getting the glory and I got this new promotion of work and it's just gonna be better benefits and I'm gonna have these things going my way and all of this stuff is just working out that's great who's getting the glory well I'm gonna get back in church you know and I'm gonna start doing what I'm supposed to be doing and, and, I'm, and I'm gonna start working on some of these things that's great who's getting the glory you know, just a couple of years ago when we looked around, you know, uh, we had so many in church and now just a couple of years later, we have ex- this number of people in church and man, it has just been cool to see what God has been doing from there to now. That, that, that's, that's good. Who's getting the glory? Who is getting the glory in your life? Peter ends it. Peter ends this whole book, this whole letter to the church. And he doesn't end it with tell so and so hi, tell and so what's up, tell and so and so miss you. Doesn't end it with the, uh, some of these uh, endings that you might expect. He just ends it and says make sure that you understand that at the end of the day it's about glory. And it's not just about glory. It's about God's glory. So as you and I are here this morning, my question for us is who glory, whose glory are you living for? Would you bow your heads with me?